Hey, welcome back to another edition of Recovery. Alright, wanted to let you know that this is my second podcast. I'm a little nervous, but I wanted to uh, do this anyway because I'm going to get past this one way or another. Uh, Okay, the first step. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Alright, for me, oh boy, for me, yeah, I started using back when I was a kid, uh, smoking dope and, you know, smoking cannabis and drinking beer and whatnot, and uh, I just got bored with cannabis and wanted to try other things, so one thing led to another, I started snorting pills, you know, like using or snorting sleeping pills, and then I met a friend who was shooting cocaine, and I tried that, and I fell in love with a syringe, and that began my downward spiral. Okay, now, I got into treatment in 1984. And treatment didn't stick with me because I wasn't ready. So it took me two years of relapsing in order to get one year clean. I started out at a... Well, back in my day, they didn't have treatment centers yet, or at least they didn't have them in my area, so I ended up going to a mental hospital called Eloise that was in Michigan, and uh, I spent two weeks there, cold turkey, none of this, this Suboxone stuff or any of that other garbage that helps people stop using heroin. And uh, then I got out after two weeks, but I was using while I was in there. I had friends come up and bring me uh, cannabis, and we'd go smoke it in the showers. And I almost got busted a few times and kicked out, but uh, I managed to put on that who, me, uh innocent face and attitude, and that managed to get me by for the second week. And I went to Narcotics Anonymous meetings while I was there, and I met a lot of great people, and it was opening me up to life without drugs, although I hadn't completely given it up yet. And, uh... After I got out of treatment, I went back to the meetings, but, you know, I wasn't high at the meetings, but I'd wait until I got home, and then the mask came off, and I got high again. I started smoking cannabis again, and about a year into it, I met a guy at one of the meetings, and he was still using, and off I went again on another spree of shooting heroin. And uh, 
Well, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I know you uh, folks in recovery will understand. You know, you get to uh, a meeting and you meet really great people and you spark up friendships. And all of a sudden, those people, some of those people that you sparked friendships up with, when they're not at the meeting, they're out doing their own thing and they get into a depressive funk for some reason or another and they end up overdosing. You know, shooting dope again and overdosing. Well, that happened to me a lot at the meetings and I really was impacted this time around from seeing really good folks trying to stay clean and doing a heck of a good job at it for quite some time and then all of a sudden falling flat on their face and dying, you know, from an overdose. And that freaked me out. That freaked me out enough to give it all up, finally. It took about, mm, say, about 90 days of just calling my sponsor, getting rides from him to meetings, and borrowing my mom's car. At that time, I didn't have one. And borrowing my mom's car and going to pick him up and take him to meetings. And then it was just a snowball effect. I started meeting more folks at meetings, started making those phone calls that they suggest at meetings. And uh, things got really great. And I ended up chairing meetings later on in life. In my recovery, I think I got, what, two years in clean, and then I was able to uh, chair a meeting. And then I got three years in, and I started making coffee at a meeting, you know, in those big coffee urns. And N.A. coffee is something else, man. You want to talk about zinging and zooming? We add a lot of coffee grounds to our, uh, when we make coffee, so we're wide awake and chatting like mad dogs. But, uh, hey, I want to hear about your, your experiences on the first step. And I'll get back with you in a little bit, and we'll do some more of the first step, and I'll read more of the, uh, Narcotics Anonymous version of the first step. So, hey, thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a minute. Bye-bye. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another segment of Dual Recovery Anonymous. My name is Gordon, and I'm in Dual Recovery. All right, tonight we're going to read step one from the 12 Steps of in Dual d- uh, Disorders, published by Tim, <coughs> excuse me, Tim Hamilton and Pat Samples. All right. I hope you've had a good day. I know I did. All right, here we go.
I think. Alright. Alright, back at it. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over our dual illness of chemical dependency and emotional or psychiatric illness, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Step one is groundwork step. We begin to recognize and accept our present condition. We admit that we experience both chemical dependency and psychiatric illness, and a psychiatric illness, and that our lives have been greatly affected because of this dual disorder. We see clearly that without help, we cannot recover from these illnesses alone. We will not be able to prevent relapse. A return to the use of alcohol and other drugs or a return to our psychiatric symptoms because of the lack of proper self-care. Step one is a new beginning. Once we lay down the groundwork of, our, uh, of acceptance, we can begin the gentle process of recovery from each illness. Our recovery be becomes an inside job. We recognize within ourselves what we can change. Our beliefs, our emotions, our behaviors, and we take responsibility for that. We give up trying to change what we can't, especially the aspects of our illness that are beyond our control. Why step one is needed? We are addicted. Somewhere in the course of our lives, something happened that changed us forever. The desire for the highly pleasurable effects of alcohol and other drugs began to be more and more important in our lives. For some of us, the urge became extreme. The thought of using was with us most of the time. We couldn't wait until the next opportunity to drink or use drugs. The urge to have the desired effects was overpowering. Or the experience may have been more subtle. We may have told ourselves, I just feel like drinking or getting high. More and more, we found ourselves choosing to be around friends who used. We frequented places where alcohol and drugs were available. Pretty soon, we were regularly using more than we wanted to. Whether our preoccupation and desire to get high were blatant or subtle, our excessive use of alcohol and other drugs gradually created problems for us and others around us. Yet when we finally recognized that something was going wrong with us, we couldn't stop ourselves from taking the next drink or hit. We had crossed a line. We were addicted to alcohol or other intoxicating drugs. 
our addiction did not develop because we had been drinking or using too much, but because something in our body chemistry created a compelling craving that most other people do not experience. Despite our growing inability to stop drinking or using, however, when any of us suggested, anyone suggested we had a problem with these drugs, we denied it. We could not see what was happening to us. This is also a part of addiction. It's called denial. We have an emotional illness. Something else also changed in our lives forever. Another illness began to develop, whether suddenly or gradually. We began to notice we were not experiencing life in our normal way. Perhaps the change began with minor symptoms, such as headaches, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, or eating problems, or problems with memory or concentration. The problems didn't seem all that big at first, and the possibility of psychiatric illness didn't even occur to us. We tried to ignore the symptoms, or perhaps we tried to get help from a doctor or a therapist, but because some of our symptoms would keep changing or come and go, or because we were drinking or using drugs, we had trouble getting an accurate diagnosis and proper treatment. If we did get the right kind of help, perhaps we didn't always follow through by taking the medications or participating in other treatment consistently. We thought we could manage without help. Gradually our symptoms and our ability to cope with them got more and more out of hand. We each reacted differently depending on our nat nature of our particular illness. Some of us felt too overwhelmed to function because of our impaired judgment. Some of us had episodes in which we became involved in plans and projects that left us financially bankrupt. Some of us had increasing hallucinations, hearing voices or seeing visions, or delusions, greatly distorted views of reality that disrupted our lives. Many of us got to the point where we felt exhausted and broken. We had trouble sleeping and our appetite was poor. We felt irritable, our memory and concentration were poor, and our quality of life was deteriorating. Some of us attempted suicide. All of us became unable to manage our lives the way we wanted to, and we felt powerless over our condition. Next part. We have two no-fault disorders. We have two serious illnesses to recover from. Both are no-fault illnesses. We didn't do anything to cause them. Neither one caused the other. We can't make either one go away. They are two different illnesses, each with its own symptoms, 
each creating its own set of problems, each needing special types of treatment. Yet we cannot separate our illnesses into tidy, tidy little compartments with ourselves. Both are present within us. Each influences the other. Both cause us to lose control. The loss of control caused by these two diseases becomes overpowering. If we drink or use other drugs, we may become careless about our recovery and neglect to take our medications or to participate in other needed treatment. As a result, the symptoms of our mental illness return or worsen. On the other hand, if we don't tend to our mental illness properly, the symptoms will worsen. We may then withdraw and fail to seek the support we need to keep from relapsing to, to the use of alcohol and other drugs or other addictive behaviors. Step one gets us unstuck. It gives us the ability to move forward. We can see the patterns in our history that have trapped us over and over again, and we can begin to see the way out of these destructive patterns. The freedom to recover. Step one moves us into freedom. We can live a life in dual recovery instead of fighting our condition constantly. We accept that it does exist, and we learn to manage our recovery. We see what we need to do, and we do it. Of course, working step one does not mean we will never again have problems. We will still have some of the symptoms of our illnesses. We will still have the urge to use at times. But we have begun the journey of recovery. We are learning how to cope with these challenges and find some peace of mind. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. The next broadcast will finish up with step one and then, of course, move on to step two. Have a great evening or day and stay clean and stay positive. This is Gordon. Good night.